Hey, hey, welcome aboard the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I'm the host, John Schofield. Joining me is co-host Ward Carroll, owner of a brand new adorable puppy. Check out his social media for pictures and videos of said gorgeous animal. And also our special guest, Bill Wagner of the Capital Gazette newspaper. Let's jump right into it. Wags, you had a story that came out this week. Um, you've had several conversations with Chuck Gladchuck. You've been in the know from the beginning, and this time is no different. Navy sports is returning. Um, the three-week layoff, the three-week ROM, the you know, rise in infections at the Naval Academy, we, they believe that they've reached the point where they can resume sports safely. But really, what does that look like and what does the future hold? Over to you. Well, as you said, they hope they can resume sports safely and we'll all pray that it's true. I mean, frankly, they could not go much further with this. These spring athletes already lost an entire season. They're now well into losing a second season. I looked at um, soccer has four games left. That's it. Four games left on the schedule if they do not schedule makeup games. So they, these, these athletes were losing another season because of this, and they had to figure it out. And even if they did not come out of the ROM for the overall brigade of midshipmen, they were going to have to come up with a plan to get athletics resuming again. So let's just all keep our fingers crossed that this goes smoothly, that there's no serious setbacks, and that we can finish the spring season and give these athletes some competitions. This is what they love to do. This is part of the reason they came to the Naval Academy. They want to be Navy and Marine Corps officers, but they also came here to compete in athletics. And you know, like Chuck Gladchuck mentioned, if you're a sophomore spring athlete at the Naval Academy, you have not hardly competed at all. You've been here two years and have barely participated in any competitions. It's it's heartbreaking. So I'm just praying that this goes smoothly and that they can finish out the season uh, the rest of the way. Agreed. We talk about why the athletic mission or why the physical mission is so important and to rob them of that. And they're not being robbed by bureaucrats or anything like that. This is a once in a lifetime, hopefully occasion. So it's, it's obviously a a challenge for everyone involved and everyone I believe has the best interests of the athletes in mind, particularly vis-a-vis their, their health and safety. So Ward over to you, you've walked a mile in their shoes and I'd like to hear from Chris on this too. You know, the weather is getting warmer in Annapolis. Here you are, you're sitting outside, you're enjoying the idyllic return of spring. Does it get to the point where athletes are kind of like, F it? You know, like this has just been an absolute grind. We're rommed on the yard. I'm not going out to Acme. Can I just get to commissioning week and GTFO? Or are they, you know, what, what do you think the mindset is? Because y- you've been there, you get, you had senioritis, I assume, at, at, uh, at the Naval Academy. How do you think the mindset is in the brigade? Well, I think I'd answer that. If I'm just a intramural warrior, then yeah, I'm, I'm just get me to commissioning week and get the hell out of here. Um, if I'm a division one athlete of one of the 20 sports that WAGS listed in his comprehensive article about the matter, 
then I'm ready for the next competition. You know, whether it's a regatta, whether it's a meet, whether it's a match um, or a game. So we've seen the resilience of the folks that we've hosted on the podcast in the year that we've been in existence. And it motivates us and blows us away that how, how upbeat and optimistic and how the morale is and how their perspective is in the face of what is, as Wags put it, a heartbreaking circumstance. And I never thought of it in terms of if I'm a youngster, Division One athlete, I haven't ever really had a spring season athlete. I haven't had a real season. So life it comes at you fast, and it's going by for these folks fast. You know, four years seems like a long time, but anytime I talk to a mid, I'm like, before you know it, you're going to be at flight school, at SWAS, on your first ship, you know, ready to make lieutenant. I mean, blink, and it's going to be going to be five years later. So focus now. But in the meantime, you know, we all remember our undergraduate college experience warmly. And with Chris and I, it's specifically our Naval Academy experience. And it does break my heart to think of them losing entire seasons to COVID. So I know that we're in damage control salvage mode, but I'm hoping we can get onesies or twosies on the books and be able to get some form of competition for these great athletes and these future Naval officers. Here, here to that, and that's Ward Carroll coming to you from the Annapolis Aviary um, out there where, where the birds reside. Uh, Chris, at least you, the dogs didn't bark during that. I know that, See, the puppy is well that could happen already. any. No, she doesn't bark. It's the the, the heebie-jeebies that are barking at every passerby. So I apologize in advance. No, I love it. It adds a different. It adds a different twist. Um, so, Chris. You know, we, we've talked about the return of sports and Wags's article did a great job. Um, again, as someone who's walked a mile in, in, in the shoes of, of a soon-to-be graduate of the Naval Academy, wh- where does safety kind of come into play here? Because we've heard coaches talk about it, like, hey, you're on a three-week layoff. You haven't even been able to practice. You don't even get touch points with the athletes. And then women's lacks has to turn around and play the star game at Army this Saturday. Uh, men's gymnastics is at Army for the star meet this Saturday. Baseball resumes against Bucknell. Men's soccer against Bucknell. So all of a sudden, after a three-week layoff, you've got pretty important matches upon which people's jobs are usually graded and depend. How do you how do you manage how do you balance the safety of it versus the um, achievement that that is expected of all these coaches and athletes? All the while. Yeah, the the just just trying to get these athletes to concentrate on games when they've got senior capstone projects, they've got commissioning week to think about, hey, are my parents even going to be able to come? Like, do we do we still get this house in downtown Annapolis for commissioning week? There's a lot of shit to balance. There is a lot of shit to balance. But I mean, I think that that is the special sauce that is the Naval Academy is your ability to balance all of that stuff, good, bad, and otherwise. So if you're a midshipman as compared to your um, contemporaries at other schools, I don't know that you're any more special or any more great, but you have to balance more than your contemporaries. And if you are an athlete at the Naval Academy, you have to balance even more. And so we've said this a number of times throughout the pandemic. I mean, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road in the uniqueness that is the 
education and physical and emotional growth that occurs at a service academy. So um, these athletes will go out there and they'll either give their best or they won't, but they are used to balancing um, commitments and balancing the unthinkable, quote unquote, as compared to their contemporaries at other schools. I think for a lot of them, this will just be another weekend in which they have to to balance all of this and they'll, they'll move forward. I, I'm not worried about the athletes. I'm not even really worried about the coaches. Um, I think the larger challenge is, is um, with the administration and how the administration balances all of this and balances safety to, to your point. But again, I remain very proud of the mids um, and I remain very proud of the institution and how they've, uh, they've balanced all of this for the last year plus. So the very first sport to return after this three-week layoff, really, other than the wrestlers who competed and the women swimmers who competed as men swimming and diving, they compete in the, uh, in the NCAA championships in Greensboro. But Sydney Harrington, for the women's uh, swimming team, when they competed, uh, Sydney Harrington performed very well. Wags, you had a chance to talk to her. What was that like? Well, first of all, it's an amazing accomplishment. Uh, Navy women's swimming and diving only has two all Americans in their history. Uh, Lauren Barber, who was in, you know, will is goes down as one of the greatest swimmers in Navy history. She was the first all American. And now Sydney Harrington has joined her. Uh, Sydney finished 16th overall in the 200 fly. Um, she made the consolation final and then placed eighth in the consolation final, but she is an all American as a junior and, you know, in my conversation with her next year, it's about becoming a first team All-American. That means making the championship final, being one of the top eight swimmers in her event. And she is poised for that. And, you know, as I'll write in my story about her, what makes this amazing is that her training for the past year has been completely interrupted and, and totally abnormal. She was out of the pool for five months because she couldn't be at the Naval Academy and she couldn't swim at Lejeune Hall. And then when they're in the midst of the season and they're getting down to the NCAA championships, Navy goes on this pause and she was able to swim on her own individually, but she was not able to compete against her teammates and she wasn't able to be directly coached. So in a lot of ways, she trained for the NCAA championships by herself. So tremendous performance for her and she deserves all kudos for becoming an All-American. Exactly right. Um, well, we talked about um, the men swimming and diving at the NCAAs goes through the weekend and then Saturday. A great thing about you know the, the relaxing of this three-week pause is that we'll get to see each other again, uh, hopefully at some of the soccer, uh, baseball, and then the return of men's lacrosse against Bucknell Sunday at 3 p.m. at Navy Marine Corps Stadium. Um, in case anyone didn't see the uh, release from Scott Strassmeyer and the very dedicated group at Sports Information, uh, fans will be allowed um, to attend uh, these events, uh, anything at Navy Marine Corps Stadium at a reduced capacity, anything on the yard is only available to uh, people who live on the yard and to MIDS. So please come out if you can in a safe way, wearing a mask, uh, socially distancing, um, please come out and support yeah, these hardworking athletes, like like Wags was just saying about Sydney Harrington, like we've been talking about all year. Um, this pod has now been in existence for almost a year. The entirety of it has been during this pandemic. And it's been 
really hard. Um, but as soon as I think that it's hard on us, I know that it's a lot harder on the very dedicated men and women in the brigade. And so again, hats off to them and please provide them your support. As we go to break, we're gonna be joined after the break by Mike Hekimovich, class of 71, um, who can talk a lot about supporting the brigade and supporting athletics, uh, particularly through the football brotherhood. So stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest, Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. All right, we're back. Uh, thank you so much for sticking with us. It is now time for the alumni segment, and we are extremely pleased to be joined by Mike Hekimovich, class of 1971 at the U.S. Naval Academy. Uh, played on the football team during his time at the Naval Academy, and then if that didn't take up enough time, the second semester of his senior year, he served as the brigade commander. Um, today, living in Arizona and uh, serving as the chairman emeritus of the Fiesta Bowl, amongst other things that he's doing professionally. We are so happy to be joined by Mike Hekimovich, class of 71. Sir, I'll kick it right off really quick. You know, give the listeners just a tiny bit of what's happened to you and what you've done since 1971 to present day. That's a long time, I know, so probably a loaded question. And then what did the physical mission really provide you as you went along that journey after graduation? Well, thanks, John, for the kind introduction. Um, uh, after graduation, I had the opportunity to stay back and coach boxing during the summer <laughs> with Coach Smith, who, uh, if not, should be a legend at the Naval Academy. Got some great stories about him. Uh, then I, uh, I coached football for um, a couple of months, and that was a great experience, uh, coaching with Coach Duden and Coach Gantz, uh, Frank Gantz, who became the dean of special teams coaches in the NFL. Uh, just a spectacular guy. He uh, Actually, I asked Frank to be my best man when Sandy and I got married. Uh, he was gracious enough to do that. So serving with those two guys on the on the play football team it was a little bit differently. It was, it was structured differently back in those days. Plebes couldn't play um, play varsity athletics. But we had a great time. And, and uh, there were several of my classmates that uh, were, were coaching as well. And it was great. Tom O'Brien, Bill McKinney. Mike McNallan, Oz Fretz, uh, Bobby Walters, David Howe. We had an unbelievably great time and uh, played a spectacular team from the University of Alabama the first year that they went to the wishbone, and we darn near beat them. They had to drive uh, against our plebes uh, 80 yards in less than six minutes to beat us, and uh, they won at the, at the, at the, as the gun was going off. So that was a great experience. Went to the fleet. Served uh, uh, as a service warfare officer. First ship was a patrol gunboat, which was great. And then um, went to a guided missile destroyer in Pearl. And unfortunately, I had a, um, an accident on board ship late one night. I was a CDO, fell into the engine room, and uh, it blew out my back. and Spent nine months as an outpatient at Tripler. The Navy graciously offered to send me to medical school or law school. But I decided if I couldn't command the fleet, I was going to get out. And I didn't know anything at all about business. And so I made the transition. Um, I was raised as an Air Force brat. 
I relied on my education and everything that happened to me at, at the Naval Academy um, to give me the confidence to learn how to make a living in the, in the, <laughs> the real world uh, of business and uh, had a, have had a great career uh, doing just about anything and everything. I've been an entrepreneur. I've only been with one big corporate organization, Nestle's, for a brief period of time in, in, uh, in the wine business. But other than that, I've started up companies on my own uh, and uh, have had a, a great career. You name the industry, I probably have been in it. The capstone, I guess, of my career would have been a company called Global Marketing Services, which was an outsourced marketing sales provider to big brands that had um, uh, products that didn't have sales forces. For example, IBM Praying Supplies, uh, IBM Magnetic Media. These are huge businesses, but these companies uh, just, uh, you know, they have a different mentality. They're focused on other things. <clears throat> and, and in the case of IBM, they'd sell the hardware, but they wouldn't pay any attention to uh, the, the tail end, the annuity stream. And so uh, I created a, a, a company to address that. And we did business in 140 countries around the world and was quite successful and have done a number of other startups. And I'm currently involved in a... Uh, a healthcare startup uh, that is taking artificial intelligence and augmented reality to automate the office visit. And we cut, uh, we cut the expense of running a medical office by two thirds and increased the throughput uh, by two to three X. So it costs doctors less money and they see more patients and they don't have to deal with any of the paperwork or anything else. Uh, that's that's pretty much my my life in a nutshell, with the exception of being involved in, in nonprofits has been a passion of mine. Uh, being involved in the Fiesta Bowl for 30 years was a great uh, a great opportunity for me because I, I I almost went back into coaching with Coach Gantz when he was at Kansas City. And if he had not gotten fired, I would have been uh, I would have come in as the uh, assistant uh, head coach and tight ends coach. And he was going to work me into the into the line. So getting involved in the Fiesta Bowl uh, was great. Um, so I had the Fiesta Bowl and Tom O'Brien <laughs> to live vicariously through, uh, and that kept me joined uh, in sports. And I'm currently uh, taking over as the chairman of the Barrel Neurological Institute's foundation board. So that's it in a nutshell. I live here in Phoenix or in Arizona with my lovely bride, Sandy, um, who I've known since I was 16 years old. And we love to travel and play a lot of golf and, and do as much stuff as we can for the Naval Academy. Well, that's a, that's a testament to staying busy, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, throughout your entire life. Ward, take it from here. Well, hey, Mike, uh, good to see you. It's good to hear you mention Tom O'Brien. I actually met him. I was a, a foundation guy, so I spent a year at the Marine Military Academy down in Harlingen, Texas. Sure. Before I went to the Naval Academy, class of 82. But I met Tom O'Brien. I was not a football player. I was a dinghy sailor. But we had a whole bunch of football guys down there from Garwood Bacon's Bird Dog South Jersey group. And he came down and, and he actually had a bunch of meetings and he included me in those meetings, which I thought was a really cool gesture. Uh, and actually had a sidebar conversation with him that was really motivating when I needed some motivation. So uh, I think finally of, uh, of Coach O'Brien. Um, and I like what you said with respect to how you used your Naval Academy experience in the business world, because I will note that only the Naval Academy's mission statement of the big three mentions 
service to the nation beyond that in uniform. It's, it's very specific, and, and I'm proud of the Naval Academy for modifying. Um, they did that on Admiral Larson's watch to say that, okay, we're not just building uh, officers here. We're building American citizens, and you're a, you're a personification of that, that mission. So let's talk a little bit about the brotherhood. Where did that come from, and what has been your role? Because it's pretty ubiquitous these days, and I don't think people understand what the genesis of that organization is or what its ongoing utility might be? Uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, you know, I'm very close with Chet Gladchuk, our athletic director, and been friends with him forever through the Fiesta Bowl before the Naval Academy. And as we were getting ready to enter into, we've talked about something like this for a year, getting organized to do something uh, that we could support uh, the NAAA in the football program. And um, as we're getting ready to make this jump into the conferences, uh, we have a little event that goes on every year. Uh, a couple of uh, 1967 grads who coached the great class of 1971 in football challenged us to a, a golf outing. And we do it every year, and it's great fun. And um, uh, we, were, we were hosting them out here, and uh, I had put some time into thinking about how we could do this. And I asked everybody, there were about – Oh, 20 grads here at our house for a reception. Uh, would they be interested in helping us get this brotherhood idea going forward so that we could support uh, the, the, the NAAA and Chet? And uh, it was very positively received. Uh, and then uh, I think it was Dave Church, who through Bob Havasey, I, I believe that's how it happened, introduced me to Frank Schenck. And so I, I got a hold of Frank and I went back when I was going back for a Navy football game and we sat down and he gave me a very well thought out plan that he'd been trying to get going of the Navy football brotherhood. And, um, and he said, I just need, I need Chet to sign off on it. We need support from inside the Academy to make this happen and, and to be a, be a force for good. And so I arranged for that. Frank, Chet and I uh, had breakfast one morning out at the, uh, the Western before a football game and Chet was all in and Frank ran with it from there. Uh, and that's about as I've given him a little bit of support as an advisor and as a helper and written some checks, but I'll give all credit to Frank, uh, for carrying the water, uh, and doing the heavy lifting to make this thing a success. And it's been unbelievable. Uh, you, you see what we've done. Uh, we've got, I don't know, I think it's about 1800 members now. Uh, we're really closely linked. Uh, they're doing some really great things for Navy football. It, it keeps all of us engaged. Uh, and one of the more important things that they're doing for Navy football is the mentoring program, which I know you're familiar with. So that's the background of it. And I think how it came to be. But Frank Shank is the guy that should get all the credit. He's just been a wonderful, wonderful leader. Well, let me just set the stage for some of our listeners who may not have understood some of the names that have been thrown out here. But uh, Mr. Mike played at Navy in 68 and 69, so he mentioned some of his teammates. Tom O'Brien was an outstanding player at the Naval Academy, and he came back and served on the, on the staff of George Wells. So Tom O'Brien's link to Navy uh, is as a player and as an assistant coach during one of the greatest eras of Navy football, and then he followed Coach Welsh to Virginia and then ultimately became a head coach himself 
at Boston College and NC State. So Tom O'Brien's a good man. Um, also, uh, the captain in 1970, which would have been the senior season for Mike, was Bill McKinney. I know him as Pastor McKinney uh, with Mariners Church, and I see him at Navy football practice all the time because he ministers to a lot of the current football players who uh, come to the church on Sundays and worship, and he helps lead prayer services and Bible services, uh, studies, etc. And then you mentioned Frank Gans, who in the end, he coached at SMU. He was considered one of the greatest special teams coaches in NFL history, but is, at the end, he coached with uh, uh, at, at SMU, and he, they now have the Frank Gans Trophy because of his connection to Navy and SMU. Whenever those two schools play, they play for the Frank Gans Trophy. And I'll throw one more out there. When In 69, when you played at Navy, the captain was Jeff Kristich, and I did an article about his son Garrett was the starting quarterback for SMU and played at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium and he said it was one of the thrills of his lifetime to play on the same field that his father once played. So with all that background, and that is part of why this Navy football brotherhood is so amazing and so cool because of all these intertwined relationships. But with all that background, can you talk about you played at Navy during a tough time. Rick Frazano was a great coach, but there was not much success. How much do you love what you've watched for the last 16 some years with this triple option error of Navy having just such amazing, consistent, sustained success in football? Uh, well, it's been an absolutely amazing thing to watch. And it has just been great for those of us that love the Academy and, and love college football. Um, you know, I, I talked with a lot of presidents and ADs of universities and uh, they talk about the importance of their football program to their institution. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons why. Um, financial is one. Uh, but to be able to see Navy mature as a program uh, and to allow the NAAA to uh, monetize that in a very positive way is great. The other good thing about it is that it represents the Navy and the Marine Corps. And, um, it helps us sell the mission of not only the Naval Academy, but of all the services, the Naval services, the Marine Corps, uh, and attracts the quality individuals that we need to provide for the national defense uh, as we would expect it to be. And um, so that's a really great thing. And it's not just about officers. Um, if you look at the recruiting statistics, you'll see that for example, when Navy played Ohio State in the shoe and we almost won that game, the recruiting numbers went up substantially. So uh, <clears throat> that program is at the heart of what the, uh, the NAAA is and uh, is a face for the Naval Academy. I uh, would like to say just a couple words about a few po folks that, that, you, that you mentioned there. Um, they're all great. And Frank, uh, Frank was, as I said, was my best man. He was like a father to me and the most motivational guy uh, that I've ever been around in my life. If anybody had on the podcast had an opportunity to meet Coach Gantz, um, uh, they, they could attest to that. Um, Frank um, left us way too early, and it, we, were, we were sorry to see him go. Um, but he is responsible almost single-handedly for turning around the misfortunes of Navy football that we went through in the late 60s and in the, in the early 70s. Frank was the best recruiter there ever was, Wags. 
Um, and he taught Tom, and Tom used this in, throughout his career, myself and all the other guys, Bill and everybody on the football team, team uh, to you to learn. He taught us how to how to recruit for the Naval Academy, and uh, that helped us out uh, dramatically. If nothing gets your juices flowing more <clears throat> than going to Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium now and watching the Navy Blue and Gold play, I don't know what does. And there again is another tribute to, to Chet. If you look where we were 20 years ago and you look at where we are today athletically and in the physical mission of the academy, which I think is, is ever bit as important as all the other missions, um, it's we're world class. And before we let you go, you know, we, we always talk about how small the Navy is and how special the connections are. And, and again, we, we take our hats off to you and, and Mr. Shank and Chet, of course, and everyone for, for continuing to advocate uh, for athletes and to continue to take care of the Naval Academy family. I think that's something that I've always looked upon with fondness. Yes, my alma mater is Villanova University, but the way that the Naval Academy network takes care of its own is is so special and and with that as we say goodbye to you we're we're saying hello to sean gallagher uh class of 96 at the u.s naval academy uh someone who i've known for now uh 25 years almost um you know sean is is someone who kind of came into your orbit and speaks very glowingly about about the the mentorship and friendship that you provided him as as we say goodbye to you and welcome sean onto the podcast how important do you think those relationships are? You know, the not necessarily supporting current athletes, but just the 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 brotherhood and sisterhood of graduates who who are out there. How they take care of each other? Uh, it's extremely important, and I don't think it's um, properly. It's not given its due. I don't think uh, we we as grads and you having worked there understand it. Uh, Admiral Leahy mentions it in his book, The Admirals. If you can get that and read it on your podcast someday, those of the, the grads that are listening can, can will be able to relate to it because I think that's probably the best way of putting it. But when you go through a crucible uh, like we went through together, and it's common, things are relative in terms of, of what you go through, but it's tough. Um, you form bonds that last forever. And there it's a, it's a, a little bit of a, a magic, a little mystique that um, really – uh, it pervades our whole body, everything about us. It's in our DNA. It's who we are. And whenever we meet somebody from the Naval Academy, we know they have a common experience. And we share that together. And I think there's automatically a, an inclination to trust uh, and to care for uh, people who have gone through that with you. So I, I just, it's an innate thing I think you take away from the Naval Academy. Well, Mike, uh, I know that I speak for Ward and Bill Wagner and Chris Trevello, our producer, when I say thank you for what you've done and thank you for what you continue to do. I know I'm looking forward to the day when I can uh, tee it up with you either out here at the new, newly renovated Naval Academy golf course or, or maybe a, uh, you know, a small private country club out there in Scottsdale. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> the, the four of us. The four of us are avid golfers, so we'd love any, to see the courses. Yeah, that any, you any, any, anytime, John and Wags, if you get out here. Well, can I say one more thing? I, I, I neglected I neglected to tell you, Wags. I, I played football in Colorado in 65 and 66 with Hale Irwin and Dick Anderson and all those guys. We had a hell of a football team. And uh, so I had, I had two years of college before I came to Navy. So I lost my senior year of eligibility, and Coach Gantz was kind enough to ask me to to serve with him uh, on the coaching staff. Uh, Jeff Kersich was on that. And real quick, 
Jeff Kersnich, who was the captain for the class of 70, and I played football together in high school. He went to Naps. I went to Colorado. And here we are all these years later meeting up at Navy and playing together. He was the starting left tackle. I was the starting right tackle. And it was great to see him. And what, what they did at SMU and, and his son was just spectacular. All right, Mike, thank you so much. Um, we're going to just jump right into it. Um, you know, Sean Gallagher is class of 96, uh, was a highly acclaimed baseball player on the prep level in Arizona, came to, uh, came to the Naval Academy as a baseball recruit, but eventually left as an experienced sailor, uh, someone right out of Ward Carroll's heart. Um, after he left the Naval Academy, he was a surface warfare officer, uh, one tour on uh, USS Kincaid, only the finest ship in the Navy, um, and eventually had tours um, at the uh, embassy in Jamaica, a <laughs> really tough hardship tour in that sense, um, really been uh, a, a, an incredibly interesting man, the most interesting man in the world. One might, one might say, but um, some ventures in business, you got your master's at Arizona State in philosophy and now uh, turning your incredibly skilled pen to writing. Uh, Sean Gallagher, class of 96 and a good friend of mine. Thank you for joining the Sing Second Sports Podcast. How are you doing? Hey, John, I'm doing great. I'm sorry to miss Hecko there. He's one of my uh, absolute favorite people in the world. I'm glad you were able to have him on the show too. Well, it was going to be my first question before I kicked it over to Bill Wagner um, who's going to really hammer you on, you know, whether you were better than, you know, Johnny Bench as a catcher <laughs> in your high school days. Uh, but, you know, Hecko talked a little bit about the importance of mentoring. And, and you and I shared and not only the ski slopes of Montana, but, but also a lot of conversations about, you know, the relationships out there. What was your relationship like, like with Hecko and what what did his mentorship provide you as you eventually came down this road to being an aspiring writer? Well, so Mike and I met just sort of socially in Phoenix uh, unexpectedly and became fast friends. And he was kind enough to take me on as a, as a mentor and just uh, eventually the two of us uh, started a company together. Uh, with another group of guys. Um, it didn't go the way we wanted it to, but uh, but through the process, I was able to uh, become very good friends with Mike and really benefit from his remarkable leadership. Um, and one of the things that Mike really taught me, I, mean, I learned a lot just by watching him in business and how he interacts with people, but I think maybe the most important lesson I, I was able to glean from Mike is just the, uh, you know, that, that sense of, uh, of self-confidence that great leaders instill in you. And I, I met him at a time when I was, I was uncertain what I wanted to do professionally and uh, his, his just confidence in my ability to figure it out in, inspired confidence in me. And it was a great lesson in just, uh, you know, uh, you know, not, you may not be able to see the road ahead, but just have confidence in yourself and it, it'll all work out. And that's, that's been the case. And, and Mike and I have been tight friends ever since. So before I let Wags hit you on the sports stuff, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't let you tell the listeners what you're doing right now. Um, so, you know, you've always been a very you know, passionate writer and you've sought out, um, you know, the ability to write for a living. You have now just launched your website, Montana 3000. And for our listeners, please visit www.montana3000. That's Montana. And then the numbers three zero 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 
Com. And on there, you can find the first season of 10 stories uh, that Sean Gallagher has written. Can you just explain to us what these stories are about and how you arrived here and, and, and why people should go out there and listen to these? Uh, sure. So the stories themselves, I guess they sort of blossomed out of the whole COVID experience initially. Um, I had made the decision to make a career change and really go after my dream of writing. And the timing was working well for a number of reasons. Uh, so I just sat down and started writing. And it's such a unique place in time right now with everything that's happening um, with, with COVID that it, it provided a pretty a pretty rich, uh, you know, pretty fertile ground to, to come up with ideas. And so I just started writing stories about things that I saw. And some of them were related to, uh, you know, being in quarantine, some of them related to the effect that uh, society was experiencing as a consequence of just doing doing business differently. Um, one of them, you know, as it relates to sports and maybe more relevant for the podcast, I, I, I just, I recognized as so many do how weird sports are now. Uh, even last night watching, uh, watching the basketball tournament and seeing uh, these teams play for the national, you know, you're playing a national championship tournament to empty arenas. Just, I can't get used to the site. And I have a story that, that touches on these topics too. So, you know, I just started writing. And the next thing I knew I had uh, a little compendium of stories that I started reading to friends and family and they seemed to like them. Uh, I had initially set out to publish these stories, but as people were listening to them and enjoying them, having have, enjoying the, the process of having them read to them, I realized there might be another way to deliver the del deliver the art. And so I, I started a podcast instead. And and uh, you know we'll see. Time will tell if it if it's the right decision or not. But uh, but I'm you know we're getting ready to launch it now. And uh, basically it's it's you know the way to think about it. It's not I guess a traditional podcast, but it's it's really more short stories on tape. I guess would be the best analog. So. Um, there are 10 of them in the first season, totally non sequitur. There's no uh, continuity between storylines. The stories themselves, frankly, don't even necessarily go anywhere. They're just uh, things that I enjoyed writing and, and reading to myself. And I, that my, my thesis was that if I enjoyed them, then hopefully somebody else would enjoy them too. So, so let's find out. Wags. Hey, Sean, good to see you. Well, I guess first and foremost, John, John kind of went fast and furious with this. You were an outstanding baseball player, but then gravitated to the sailing team. Uh, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about your journey, how you ended up at the Naval Academy. I'm going to guess you came to play baseball. That didn't work out. And to fulfill the physical mission, you wound up with the sailing team. I don't know if you had any previous sailing experience, but, you know, I'm a sailor. I grew up sailing. I am the sailing writer at the Capitol. Uh, so I'm very closely associated with sailing. And obviously Ward Carroll was a member of the intercollegiate dinghy team and basically spent his years at the Naval Academy sailing a laser around the Severn River. So why don't you just tell us real quickly your journey, how you ended up at the Naval Academy, how you ended up on the sailing team? Sure, sure. Uh, well, so I think I think uh, claims that I was this, uh, you know, uh, Johnny Bench-esque uh, high school standout might be a little overstated, but I, I had a I had a you know, as so many midshipmen do, I had a I had an okay high school career in, in athletics. Um, I uh, 
I, I did get an offer to play with the, the Brewers uh, rookie league out of high school that I had already committed to the academy. Uh, so I, I didn't pursue that, but I, uh, I did come to, the, to school as a, as a baseball player. I uh, played for a year, but really got seduced over to sailing uh, kind of accidentally. I went on a summer uh, training cruise after plebe year. Uh, we sailed to Bermuda and I was just completely hooked. So I came back after that experience and I kind of talked my way onto the sailing team, you know, kid from Arizona. I didn't even know, you know, what you call the pointy end of the boat, but uh, I was able to uh, somehow convince the coach that, uh, you know, what I lacked in experience, I made up for an enthusiasm. And so, um, so I sailed for the, the rest of my time at, at school on the offshore team and had just a, just a fantastic experience. Um, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't go around telling anybody I, I was, uh, a, you know, uh, a sailor at your level, Bill, but I, I sure love being out on the water. And um, I, I don't know, I just something about uh, being on a boat really just excites me. And I, I've always loved it. I loved it when I was doing it. I don't do too much sailing these days, but I sure do miss it. So I'll kick it over to Ward to, uh, to try to tell you how much better dinghy sailing is than offshore. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's apples and oranges. You know, it's a completely different. I actually um, participated in the Mac Cup when I was a plebe on the Looters 44s, the Yalls, which like how old is Ward? Um, but I went there specifically. I was recruited by Gary Jobson and Pat Healy um, to sail dinghies. And, and as Wag said, I was primarily a laser sailor. Um, and then I had the gift of being the O-Rep for the dinghy team when I was on the faculty there for my last tour on active duty when John and I met, um, when he was a lieutenant and I was a 05. Um, and Pat Healy had come back 17 years after he left, which was the exact timing of my Navy career. And so I got to travel in vans up and down I-95 with Pat Healy once again. It was really a spiritual thing. And I will say for the intercollegiate dinghy team listeners, Pat Healy is in complete remission from uh, the, the cancer that had afflicted him for a number of years. So that is fantastic news. Pat has also been induced or indu inducted into the intercollegiate hall of fame as a coach. Um, so I love Pat. He was a huge mentor of mine while I was a mid Navy sailing was very important to me. Um, I am kind of an adjunct to the fails committee um, which runs Navy sailing um, and see Gary Jobson around. Um, and you got to understand that Gary Jobson was, it was like meeting Bob Gibson uh, when I met Gary Jobson, because in high school I was a, a sailor. Um, and so you may remember that he was involved in Ted Turner's America's cup effort with courageous and so forth and so on. So he was the head coach, my plebeer, and then uh, always around for the years after that. So Navy sailing was number one in the country the whole time I was a mid. And those days uh, have left us as smaller programs like St. Mary's have uh, built their sailing programs, um, but it's still obviously a fundamental part of the Naval Academy's mission. And it's, that's an awesome story, uh, Sean, to, to hear how you were hooked and then you became an offshore sailor. Um, and, and so fantastic. So let's talk writing a little bit. So um, do you hope to monetize the podcast or is this just something you're doing and see what happens or you know, as we know, this is a non-linear process and effort does not equal outcomes. I will tell you that. Um, so what, what are your aspirations for how this would go? Uh, so, you know, ideally, yes, I'd like to make a living doing this. Uh, I, I, right now, I'm, I'm really more focused on um, building the platform, 
uh, and garnering listenership in the hopes that that can be parlayed into uh, some kind of a money-making event, either through, you know, the traditional routes of, uh, you know, selling advertising or <clears throat> my, my goal ideally would be to, uh, to have the podcast be a subscription-based kind of uh, experience. But as we sit here in this moment, I am really just trying to get this thing up and off the ground and, and figure out if people like listening uh, to my stories, uh, figuring that if they do, then uh, then doors will open from there and we'll, I'll figure out a way to, uh, to monetize it. But uh, right out of the gates, I'm really just more concerned with creating a cool experience for listeners um, and seeing what, where it goes from there. Yeah, good good luck. What you'll find is trading on public taste is a uh, capricious thing. Um, but good luck, you know. And and as as the uh, provisions team is trying to build this podcast, you know, the the economics of it are. are and I also co-host uh, with my day job the Proceedings Podcast. And I was actually a pioneer in the podcasting world when I was the editor of Military dot com. Um, it is a good medium. It's a low barriers to entry medium, um, but the monetization piece is uh, is another thing altogether. But um, and just writing, I think you framed it right. Just start with something that's entertaining, something that you know. Basically, you're, if you're entertaining yourself, then hopefully others you know glom onto it. Um, so, um, so you're in Arizona. You're not sailing anymore. What are you doing for uh, for recreation? Well, I, I actually am living in Montana. Um, oh, in Montana? I'm from, yeah, I'm from Arizona. I, I moved up to Montana with my family about a year ago. Um, and uh, for, for recreation right now, I, I ski every day uh, that I can. So we, we oh, live hate in you. mountain here and, uh, and uh, we, we get up as much as possible. <laughs> I turned myself into something of a ski bum, actually. It's nice. It's a really strange uh, conversion because I did not grow up skiing. Uh, but I just got a taste for it, and I, I just I'm completely hooked on the sport. That's fantastic. I want to be you. <laughs> well, I can tell you from having visited Sean uh, out there. Uh, well, my first time in Whitefish, Montana, was for your wedding, uh, which was super duper fun. Shout out to uh, to the fellow groomsmen out there from the class of '96 who enjoyed Whitefish with you, but having just been out there to ski and, and spend some time, you know, I can tell you it's, it's gorgeous. And, and, and as we sign off, I, I think, you know, if, if again, I can sell people on visiting the Montana 3000 website and listening to your stories, it doesn't only involve the stories as they are read by you, but there's accompanying photography from your time up there in whitefish and on the ski slopes and, and it's just an overall experience. And, and, you know, as we encourage people to embark on, on uh, tales of 15 minutes from now, um, you know, it's just, it's just a really gorgeous view of what your environment is, is like up there. So as we sign off, I'm just going to ask you one thing. If, if one of your daughters or if you come across someone in Montana or someone who's listened to the stories asks you about the Naval Academy, you know, what, what would your, what would your speech be to, you know, to that person? And what would you say about the Naval Academy that made it so special? Uh, well, so as for, I'm guessing probably everybody who graduates from the institution, uh, it's just a life-changing experience, not only uh, in terms of character forging and building uh, and life lessons in that regard, but the, the friendships that you make 
you know, and, and as Mike was saying earlier, that that uh, that camaraderie of the brotherhood and the sisterhood is uh, something that you carry with you your whole life. It's it's uh, it, it's it's difficult to describe, and it's just such a wonderful part of the institution, its heritage. That uh, to me, it's it's the greatest thing about the academies is uh, just that the the shared experience of uh, going through something difficult together and, and coming out the other end uh, a different person. So just can't trade it for anything. I I won't even say anything on top of it because it can't be better said. Again, ladies and gentlemen, the site is called Montana3000.com, Montana3000.com. I would really encourage you to sit down and listen to episode one titled, I Sit in the Lobby. Um, as I was, I, I assure you, you'll be hooked going forward. Um, Sean, for the Sync Second Sports team, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. Thank you for giving us a little bit of history into uh, your athletic career and how it and how it forged you going forward. And uh, we're looking forward to subsequent seasons and episodes of uh, Montana 3000. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thanks, John. All right. Well, Sean Gallagher, uh, fantastic author, fantastic friend, fantastic example of what a Naval Academy graduate is and can be. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're going to go to break. When we come back, Ward, Wags, and I will take it out. This is Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. And we are back. Uh, fantastic conversations uh, with Mike Hakimovich, class of 71, uh, Sean Gallagher, class of 96. Um, it, it's, again, you know, no matter the ages, no matter where they are, talking to mids last week, talking to grads this week, I, I continue to be impressed and, and I really love this experience. So thank you to them. Um, so we're going to go forward. Uh, we talked about the uh, games happening this weekend, Ward, Wags, and I will try to find a way to bring you the social media coverage uh, through lacrosse, through soccer, and everything else happening under the sun. Again, a shout out to the sports information team for picking up after a three-week layoff and now having a pretty busy weekend ahead of them. Um, so as we go forward, um, I'll only say go Villanova beat Baylor on Saturday. Uh, Ward, what are you keeping your eye on and which, uh, which sporting event do you hope to attend this Saturday or this weekend? Uh, well, I'll definitely be at the lacrosse game. Um, and I hope to attend the, the soccer, the men's soccer as well. So that's what I've got my eye on. The return to sports is, uh, uh, an awesome, awesome thing. <laughs> very, very Schofield-like in your, yeah. <laughs> in your flowers for algebra oh right there. <laughs> An awesome thing that might happen. Uh, Wags, I assume you'll be a tad more uh, eloquent with your answer. What, what are you looking on the horizon? Well, I'm going to be covering uh, men's lacrosse on Sunday. I'd actually hoped originally to cover men's lacrosse on Saturday because they were supposed to play Holy Cross and then cover baseball on Sunday. But now with both events being Sunday, I'm going to cover lacrosse. We're going to have someone else cover baseball against Bucknell, which is a big series, a three-game series, two 
doubleheader up at Bucknell on Saturday and then a single game at uh, Bishop Stadium on Sunday. And it's a big series because I think Bucknell right now is leading the Patriot League uh, real early. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, we talked earlier about Chuck Gladchuck and the athletics staff working hard to try to get varsity athletics back. But I want to mention that they were also want to get club sports back because this podcast talks a lot about the physical mission of the United States Naval Academy. Not everybody's varsity athlete. Others pursue the physical mission through club sports and the NAAA does administer club sports. And uh, Rob Dunn is kind of the club sports administrator. And he uh, was quick to retweet my article about varsity athletics resuming and saying that we are now working hard to get club sports back up and running as well. So I want to make sure we let people know that. Um, but yeah, uh, excited that, that sports are back. I mean, it was a tough three weeks with no Navy athletic competitions to attend and cover. So uh, I, I hope that we do not have another pause this spring. I, I know that. I'm praying. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it, that would suck. Um, so as we sign off, uh, I, I will, um, I know, uh, channel the intentions and sentiments of Ward and, and Wags and Chris when I uh, say that we're all thinking about Alan Pastrana, um, who is a legend in the Annapolis area, went to St. Mary's High School, played quarterback at University of Maryland, played for the Denver Broncos, and uh, came back to Annapolis and not only raised an amazing family, but basically started sports at Anne Arundel Community College. An absolute legend uh, at St. Mary's and University of Maryland who um, is going through some health pro problems right now. We, we just give our, uh, you know, our, our biggest hugs to the Pastrana family and let them know that we're thinking about them. Uh, so for Ward Carroll and Bill Wagner and our hardworking producer, Chris Trevello, I am John Schofield. We will see you next week on the Sync Second Sports Podcast. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play -play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of the podcast segments. 